Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome back here. Uh, I don't know uh, how many of you have been following the debate, uh, for those of us with kids, it's a huge debate, about whether we should send our kids back to school right now or not. Uh, and they, the debate, for the most part, seems to be breaking down onto two sides. And if you caricature, caricature the extremes, uh, on the one side, you've got those who advocate very strongly for no school. Keep the kids at home, uh, keep them safe. You know, they can wait another couple months to get their fractions figured out. We don't want to risk endangering the teachers. The numbers aren't low enough. Parents, you can just keep your kids at home. It's not that big, it's not that big of a deal. I know it's hard, but we have to stay safe. That's one argument. On the other side uh, are those of us with kids. Uh, sometimes a lot of them. And we've been home with those kids all day, every day, since March 15th. And it was okay in the beginning because the temperatures only got into the 80s, but now outside it's, what, 99, 100, 115, and we've had the hottest, driest, longest, hottest summer on record. And so your kids are home and you've got no summer school, no respite program, no Bible camp. You can't go to the splash pad to entertain them and keep them cool during the day. All you can do is just sit home. And even the backyard, it's too hot to go in the backyard except for like right in the early in the morning. And so you've had them with you all day, every day for five straight months. And everyone in the house is starting to get on everybody else's nerves. And you're sitting there thinking, I just need to get my kids to school. It's not that you don't care. So you read the numbers, you read the studies, and you go, well, kids aren't maybe that big of a risk. They usually fight it off. We can take precautions. But what you realize is that quarantine when you've got a whole bunch of little kids at home is really a very different animal than quarantine when you don't have them. And you sit there, you know, and you open, the, you open the paper and you're thinking in your mind that you're really torn about this and then you read that letter to the editor by somebody saying very clearly, you know, oh yes, we, we definitely should make them wait. Um, they should definitely hold off. We need to protect the teachers and be safe. And then you read to the bottom of the letter to the editor and you see, oh, the person who wrote this is retired and lives in a retirement community. No job, no kids, quiet house, quiet street, no extra mouths to feed. This person can just sit at home and do whatever all day. And then you're sitting there in your house and you know the place is a mess and things haven't gotten clean and you've got way more mouths to feed and so there's more dishes and you're pulling your hair out and you're thinking to yourself, wow, must be nice, or easy for you to say. And then, of course, you sit back, if you're a parent, you remember how it was at the end of last school year, and you're watching your kids start up again this year, and you, 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 you remember, you think of that experience of distance learning, which really means that now you're trying to park your kids in front of a computer, but yet, 
get them to do all those things they're supposed to do. Make sure they log in at the right time, make sure they do their worksheets in between, make sure Zoom and forms and rooms and meetings and all these things are going okay. And then make sure you do that while you have another sibling in the other room who's got a different schedule of when he has to log in and the worksheets he has to do. And you're trying to do that. Oh, and yes, and did I mention the older ones are supposed to be clean in the house and they're not. And when they say distance learning, you hear endless power battles and cajoling on my part as a parent to basically be a homeschool teacher and get nothing else done between seven and three every single day. And so yeah, school starts to look a little bit better. And your fears of COVID start kind of get weighed. Now I'm not gonna say there's an absolute right or wrong here. I'm not here as much to advocate a position as much to say that the whole school from home bit is something that a lot of us burn out on real fast. Some parents, I think, have a knack for it. A lot of us are, we, you know, if we wanted to be teachers, we'd be teachers. We're not. So why is it burning us out? Well, there's the added workload for you as a parent. There's the fact that this is a whole new skill set. There's the fact that a lot of our kids are not good at being homeschooled. Uh, some of them need lots of stimulation. They need the structure and the discipline. Uh, some of our kids are special needs. You know, maybe they, they, and they need extra. And so it's like, as a parent, you're suddenly being pushed into a job you didn't prepare for and you're not really gifted at. You've really got other things you need to do and you don't really have time for this, but you're pushed into it. And so it doesn't take long doing this to get burned out. One thing I've noticed uh, these past few months has been a sort of a feeling of burnout. Uh, not just me personally, but all over. Lots of burnout. And it's weird because with so many things canceled, technically there are fewer things on the schedule. There's less things demanding my time right now. I don't have the games. I don't have as many meetings. The meetings are on Zoom, so I don't have to drive somewhere to get to them. And yet, it feels more exhausting than ever. And when I, even when I had way more things on the calendar. So, what's causing this burnout? Here's a few things that I know do cause burnout. One, anxiety about the future. If you don't know what's going to happen and you worry about it not going well, but you're stuck at home thinking about it all day long, that's a bad recipe. You gotta find ways to distract and refocus your mind. Uh, two, there's often a lack of light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, if it looks like it's gonna go on forever, you know, then it's harder to take it in stride. We can endure an awful lot if we know it's gonna end soon, or even if we just know the day it's gonna end. But here, we're kinda of stuck. It doesn't seem to be ending soon, and we don't know when it's gonna end. Three, feeling unappreciated. Any job is harder when people don't recognize the work you put into it, or there's just plain too much work. 
You know, just playing too many hours, too many deadlines, too many expectations. Sheer volume can lead to burnout too. Or it's that it's work you're not gifted at. I think of this when I was listening to a priest. He was talking about his work in East LA when he uh, got out of seminary, he's a Jesuit, when he got out of seminary they assigned him this parish that they thought was pretty much uh, a goner. It sat right in the middle of gang country, right in the, in the 80s. So they sent him there in the 80s, in the middle of the gang wars between the Bloods and the Crips, uh, the crack epidemic, and he was literally doing dozens of funerals for kids, teenage boys, every year. And I, I think he said, I heard him on an interview, and he said that uh, by last year, he had done 220 funerals for people shot by gangs. And while the volume of violence has dropped a lot, and he did acknowledge that, he says it's not like it was in the 90s. He doesn't have the bodies just being sort of dumped on the church doorstep anymore, which he used to have. The work is the kind of work that you would think would really take a toll on someone. And yet, he's been doing this for decades now. And when they were interviewing him, he had some comment uh, when he, that he would say to volunteers when they'd come in and want to work or people who'd been working with him and were frustrated. And he would say something along the lines of, not an exact quote, but if you need to get recharged, or if you need energy to do this, you shouldn't be here. And that's what he tells his staff. Now, it's a harsh way of saying what I think he's trying to say is that it's the kind of work, if this kind of work doesn't give you energy, then you're going to burn out at it. And maybe you're not really gifted for it. So he's working on this idea that you have a spiritual gift for your work. And if it is your gift, it will not be an energy draining thing, uh, though you still shouldn't be a workaholic. And I think about teachers who I will say on the record, I think do deserve way more credit uh, and pay and staff support, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but you think to yourself, how do they deal with it? How do they deal with kids like mine, day in and day out? How do they keep their energy? How do they stay creative? And you, you talk to them and they'll say, you know, there are days I need a glass of wine when I'm home, but I love my job. And they'll tell you that it's not the teaching that's as exhausting as it is the system around it that's energy draining. It's not the kids, and that'll tell you a lot. But if it's your spiritual gift, if it really is your God-given calling, then being with the kids and their struggles, the idea is it will fill you with energy. The politics, that will take it away. And if you're not a teacher and you're thrown into it, it can drain you. And right now, a lot of us are thrown into jobs we aren't gifted for, and we're trying to deal with it, but it's wearing on us because we long to be back to doing the things that uh, give us energy instead of having worked so hard to learn these things that really are hard for us, but we didn't choose them in the first place, but we need to do them. 
You know, I didn't sign up to be a videographer. I think it's my spiritual gift, but I've had to learn it. I deal with it. It doesn't give me energy, like having a regular service or a room full of people, or getting to talk to people after church, you know? It doesn't give me energy like teaching a live class or visiting a real person in their home instead of just on Zoom. So it leaves me with less energy, just like homeschooling does if you're not a homeschool gifted person. The principle of following your spiritual gifts is a deeply biblical idea, and it comes from the New Testament. The Bible has a lot to say on this. Most of it comes from the Apostle Paul. Here's what he says, Romans 12. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. Maybe I should add the homeschooler in homeschooling, the new math understander in new math understanding, the Windows operating system troubleshooter in understanding Windows operating systems. But we all have gifts. One is not better than another or higher than another. There's no hierarchy of gifts. But just what God has given you so that you can build up the body of Christ, the church, the community. It's like God has given you the gift for a reason and put you in this community for a reason and in this family for a reason, and in this neighborhood for a reason. And it's to build up that community. He's given you gifts and skills and passions and given you the energy to follow them. It's almost as if the Holy Spirit's like a sort of infusion of energy that keeps you from getting burned out. And, and I think this has become one of the big problems for us a lot of us in our spiritual walks. You know, we focus so much on what we're supposed to do and spend of spending the time in prayer or discernment or just talking to God, trying to help figure out what it is that we're gifted at, what it is that we're called to do, and just sitting there asking that question. God, what am I gifted at? What are the gifts you've given me? Am I gifted at being a minister to the dying? I know a lot of hospital chaplains who love to be with people in their pain. It should wear a person out. And they, and they do need to get their rest, but they keep going back, day after day, year after year. Because the Holy Spirit is giving them the energy and the tools to do it. And so they don't get burned out. Instead, they get energy from it. Am I gifted at teaching? Am I gifted at leading? Am I gifted at compassion? Interesting that the Apostle Paul says compassion is a gift. 
Maybe like those chaplains, it's something maybe some of us have more than others, or at least the ability to share it more with others is maybe something we have. There's a whole bunch of these. But the trick in this life is to find those gifts that, that are and, and find out what those gifts are that we have and focus on them as much as possible. You know, maybe in this crazy time, we will discover some new gifts. Maybe we're forced to try out some new things that it turns out we'll be really good at and we'll say, hey, you know, I really am good at windows. And maybe we'll just realize better that we're not, something we're not as gifted at. So may, they, this could be a time to refocus from whatever we've been doing. And maybe there's a ministry in some way that God wants me to do and I haven't been that involved with because I've been looking at what's been going on and, and I've been, uh, and you know, and it hasn't been clicking with me. Well, maybe it's because it's not your spiritual gift and it's not where God needs you. And the answer is to start something new that is where the Spirit gives you the gift and gives you that energy. The key is to find where the Spirit gives you the energy and engage there. It will be less exhausting even if it's more hard. Because God has plans for us and he doesn't leave us without the tools to implement them, but instead he gives us the gifts to do them for the building up of the community and for his glory and for our own health. Amen.